The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. Take your Bibles to uh, Psalm 12, verses 6 and 7, and when you find it, please stand. I have a lot of Bible verses that we need to look at, but we're not going to read it all. So I'm going to give you the quotes, and if you want to keep track of them, do it as we go. You can do your own homework when you get time at home. Anyhow, verse 12, uh, chapter 12, Psalm 12, verses 6 and 7. The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord, thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. Let us pray. My Father in heaven, as I stand here today, I pray that you will give me the wisdom to do this. Allow me, Lord, to honor you with the preaching of your word. Father, pray for our pastor and Pam. Lord, how difficult this must be for them. Pray for you people, Lord, everyone that has come to listen to the preaching of your word. Allow us, Lord, to learn something new. And help us, Lord, to carry out your work in this place. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. There are many themes in the Bible. But one of the themes that that runs throughout the whole Bible is a king and his kingdom. For those of us who are saved... We know how this whole mess is going to end up. But for those who reject the Lord, they are left to wonder who is going to rule the universe. The struggle for power and authority goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. And Satan is looking for a position of power that is not available. Heaven and earth and everything that exists in this universe belongs to God. And his power, dominion, and authority will never be negotiable. When God created Adam, he gave him dominion over everything, the entire world. And he was the king of the world. But when he disobeyed, He lost the kingdom to Satan. There's an interesting exchange in in, um, in between Jesus and and Satan in Luke 4, uh, verses 5 through 7. What's incredible about these verses here is that Satan is offering the kingdoms of this world to the Lord in exchange for worship. Um. Look Look chapter 4 says, And the devil taking him up into a high mountain showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil saith unto him, All this power will I give thee, and the glory of them, for for that is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will I give it. If thou therefore will worship me, all that, all shall be thine. And the Lord didn't argue with him. That is because the whole world has been given to Satan 
for a while. And the Bible goes on to say in, in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 4 that Satan is right now the God of this world. We should never underestimate the wisdom of Satan. He's very cunning, very wise, and he can use many devices to keep people distracted. Over in Ezekiel, verse, uh, in Ezekiel 28 and verse 3, the Lord says this about Satan. He says, Behold, thou art wiser than Daniel. There is no secret that they can hide from thee. I don't know how wise Daniel was, but he was very wise, and Satan is much wiser than Daniel. He's very smart, very powerful, and as an unsafe person, if you are here, you don't stand a chance with him. And the thing is that if you look around, he doesn't have to work very hard, very hard on the two-legged sinner out on the street or on the lazy Christian that neglects his Christian life, spending time in studying his Bible and wasting time in worldly junk. He works very hard on the dedicated and committed child of God who's always with his nose in the book trying to learn something new. If you read your Bible at all, you know that the first words that Satan spoke in Genesis chapter 3 were cast in doubt on the character of God by questioning his words. And so in many important matters, everyone recognizes the need for final authority. A Supreme Court of Appeal higher than any court on earth, so high in authority that no one can get there and challenge the supreme ruler of all creation. And for many people, this final authority lies in a church. For others, it's religious ceremonies. For some, it's a minister, a priest, a rabbi, or even a good teacher. But when it comes to matters of life and death, heaven and hell, and many other supernatural things, we all know who has the final authority. Those of us who are saved and have a hunger, for thirst, hunger and thirst for the truth, we know that all men are prejudiced, feeble, liars, and prone to make mistakes. That's everyone. And I also understand that when you present this type of message, it's not always well received by those who don't know the Lord. But we're talking here about the final authority, which is the Word of God. And for that, like Brother Dalton said this morning, we cannot and will not apologize. The Bible claims to have divine inspiration, inerrancy, preservation, and authority. It is true that, if it is true that the sovereign God of the universe condescended to reveal himself supernaturally in his book, even that he has revealed himself in the physical universe, if that is the case, and we know that it is, then man, even in a world that is ruined by sin, has a firm foundation on which to build for time and for eternity. The sovereign God of creation has done this in the Holy Scriptures. And it's acknowledged by all true Christians. But the question that demands a clear answer is, which Bible do we mean when we say the Bible? 
A quick study reveals that not all Bibles say the same thing, and a closer examination demonstrates that they did not all come from the same source. My point in preaching this material to you this afternoon is not with the intention to get you to throw away your NIV, ESV, New King James, New American Standard Bible, Amplified Bible, Good News for Modern Men, if that is a Bible, which I don't think it is. And whatever version you read in, that is not my intention. Um, you read whatever you want. But I heard this from an old man a while ago. He said that reading your Bible, reading the Word of God on any Bible version that is not the King James Bible is like shaving with a banana, which I think is true. It doesn't cut. The beautiful thing about freedom in America is that you can read whatever you want. You can worship whatever you want. You can also choose not to worship or not to learn anything. That's the beautiful thing about freedom. Uh, you'll pay a price at the end of whichever, choice you, whichever side you choose. But nevertheless, we do have that freedom. Um, I take the word of God seriously, even though I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a clown, I will say that. But when it comes to the Bible, I take it very seriously because the Bible says that it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Hebrews 10, 31. But I also realize that not many Christians take the time to look into these things and investigate how we got the Bible and the many attempts that have been made by people who hate Christianity and trying to destroy it. And yet the Bible is the best-selling book around the world every year in every language. So if Satan can't destroy the Bible, he will kill the Christians. But we're too many of them, so he can't get them all. So he goes and he gets his minions to mess with the book and try to tame it and claim that they will make it more up-to-date. But I don't see how it's possible that the words of God need to be constantly updated. And I say that because every new Bible version that is introduced to the unsuspected public, the Bible publishers want you to think that it's better than the one before. And that's not always the case. The problem is when we say the Bible, what do we mean by the Bible? Which one do we, do, we, do we mean by that? Do we want a Bible with authority or we want a Bible that has 90%, 70%, or even 50% authority? Or do we want a Bible that is absolutely 100% authoritative? The Bible has much to say about itself and when you run into an unbeliever who has a little bit of Bible knowledge and you ask him if he has ever read the Bible, he will ask you, which one do you mean? There's so many out there. How do you know which one is the right one for me to read? It's like driving late at night on a thick fog. I don't know if you've ever done that. You can't tell which road is the right road to take. So let's begin with the inspiration of the Bible. Number one, 
what do we mean when we say that the scriptures are inspired? For that, we can let the scriptures answer that question. Take your Bibles to 2 Timothy 3.16. This is one of those verses that everybody should memorize, you know, to defend yourself when you, when you run into people like that. 2 Timothy 3.16 reads, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. This verse makes the claim that God himself has inspired the scriptures. When, re- when you read the Gospels, you discover that Jesus always quoted the scriptures to validate his point. And in doing so, his opponents had to walk away with their tails between their legs, humiliated. This would be like walking into a university, into a classroom, with the college professor teaching evolution with his glasses on the tip of his nose, and point your finger at his face and tell him, you're an idiot, you don't know what you're talking about. Which reminds me of what Kyle was teaching this morning. That stuff is so It's just silly for those of us who are Christians, but for our young people, that is dangerous because a lot of our young people are getting away from the Bible, and they absolutely don't believe that there is a God. Everything we see in existence, they think that it just came out of an explosion where nothing exploded. How do you explain that? Uh, Matthew 22, verse 29 says, Jesus answered and said unto them, you do err not knowing the scriptures, nor the power of God. Mark twelve ten, And have ye not read the scripture? With the, the stone which the builders rejected is become the head of the corner. Mark twelve twenty four. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Do ye not therefore err, because ye know not the scriptures, neither the power of God? John eight forty seven. He that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not, because ye are not of God. I'm going to give you a bunch of verses here that talk about the inspiration of the Bible. And furthermore, a a careful examination and study of these verses will confirm that you don't need to know Greek or Hebrew to understand and read your Bible. So here we go. Luke 4.21 I'm not going to read I'm just going to give you the quotes. If you want to write them down and do your homework at home later, that's great. Luke 24, 27. John 2, verse 22. John 5, verse 39. John 7, 38. John 10, 35. Acts 17, 11. Romans 1, verse 2. If I'm going too fast, grab me later. Galatians 4, verse 30. 2 Timothy 3.15, 2 Peter 1.20, and 2 Peter 3.16. Again, if I'm going too fast, grab me later. I don't like to mess with the Greek or the Hebrew for many reasons. Number one is I don't speak Greek and I don't speak Hebrew. I'm struggling to speak my own language and English, so it's, it's difficult. But not only that, Greek and Hebrew are two very complicated languages. One thing can mean many things, so I don't like to mess with that. Number two, there is no original text, if you didn't know that. What we have is copies of copies of copies. But what we have is equivalent to the original. 
let's see. There is no original text. What we have is copies of copies. And once again, God didn't promise to preserve the originals. He promised to preserve his words. And we have them. If you could get your hands on a copy of the original text, which, by the way, you can't. Even if your life depended on it, you can't get it. But let's say that you did. You would have no idea what you're looking at. Couldn't read it. Four, let's just say that we get someone who speaks Hebrew or Greek to come up here and preach to you in Greek or Hebrew. If you only speak English, it wouldn't benefit you. It wouldn't help you at all. You would have a clue what they're saying. Now, it is possible to butcher a word or two in any language. I do it all the time. I mess with gender when I see him. I try to, try to pick on him. Fortunately, he hasn't punched me in the face yet. But you can do that. You can butcher any word in any language. One or two words, you can do that. That doesn't mean you speak that language. Number five, the universal language of the last days is English. Everywhere you go in the world, people are learning English. Now, I'm not saying that it's a bad idea to learn Greek or Hebrew. If you can learn these two languages, good for you. But for those of us who don't know Greek and Hebrew, there are tools available now to dissect, to take apart any word or any verse in Greek or Hebrew so you can come up to the exact uh, uh, context of a particular uh, verse or word that you're looking for is there. But to know what God expects of you, the depravity of man, the sinful nature of man, heaven and hell, and the plan of salvation is plainly is plain in the Bible. You can get that. These are just some of the few doctrines that you can get in the Bible without knowing Greek or Hebrew. Another one is that I don't believe that God will give you his word in a language that you wouldn't be able to understand. He wouldn't do that. I don't know if you ever purchased something that requires assembly. You get the box when you get home. You open it and look for the instructions, and they're in a language that you don't understand. Or have you ever been in a place trying to get help from someone who doesn't speak your language? It's frustrating. Moving on here. The writers of the Bible were people that God used to get his word out to humanity. And we know that by looking very carefully at the way the Bible is put together, it's like a set of gears. I don't know how many mechanics we have here. I know Bobby's a mechanic. Every gear has to fit in the right place because one gear goes out of whack and the whole thing falls apart. That's your Bible. This is why when you're reading, looking for something in your Bible, and you don't understand what you're looking at, just keep reading. The answer is in the book. You just have to spend time in it. Now, every word that is in the Bible is in the place that it is by design. There is no accidents in it. And although the chapter and and verse division is not in the original text, you have to say that it comes in handy when you read in your Bible. I think Kyle has a Bible with no, no chapters and no verses in it. It's hard to follow. 
For instance, in the first chapter of Genesis, the word God said occurs 10 times in 31 verses. In the Old Testament, the expression, and the Lord said, the word of the Lord, uh, the Lord spake, the word of the Lord came, is found over 3,800 times. Also, it is clear that the writers of the New Testament consider what they were saying, what they were writing, to be inspired by God. And we have several verses to confirm that. I'm going to give you a bunch of verses. Again, if you want to write them down, great. If not, give me later. I'm going to go fast here. Second Peter uh, 1, 20 and 21. First Peter 1, 10 and 11. Acts 1, 16. Acts 28, verse 25. Acts 2, verse 4. 1 Corinthians 2, 13. 1 Corinthians 14, 37. 1 Thessalonians 2, 13. 2 Peter 3, 1 and 2. Matthew 10, 20. Mark 13, 11. Luke 12, 12. Luke 21, 14 and 15. And many more, but I'm, I think that should be enough for now. Now, almost every fundamentalist and evangel- or evangelical agrees to the inspiration of the original text. And you know that because it comes up in their sermons, if you listen to them long enough. And you can also read it in their statement of faith in their churches. But they don't say much about the preservation of the Word of God. Matthew 24, 35 says, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. God thinks very highly of his words. And when people who are in the business of producing new Bibles remove hundreds of verses or twist verses in the Bible, they do it because in order to get a new Bible out into the market, you have to make changes to it. And the only way you can get a copyright on the new Bible is to remove a percentage of verses or change the wording in the one that you're trying to introduce. And that's the only way that you can make, get a copyright on it and get royalties. If they don't do that, they don't make any money. Another wise man said one time that if the thing doesn't make sense, there's a buck hiding somewhere. Psalm 138, verse 2 says, I will worship towards thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy love and kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified your, thy word above all thy name. God himself said that he magnifies his word above his name. You know, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. I'm sure that many of the people who are in the business of producing new Bible versions are only trying to keep up with the culture, trying to put the Word of God in a way that will accommodate the lifestyle of the readers. But God doesn't care if you agree or disagree with Him. He is running this universe according to His will, and although it's true that His will is not being done right now, A day is coming when everyone and everything will bow to him. In the pages of the Bible, God God tells you plainly what it takes to have eternal life. 
if you reject the Lord Jesus Christ, you will end up in hell. These people fail to realize that the culture doesn't care about God and his word. And the one who gets credit for all this is none other than Satan. He is the one pulling the strings because when you have hundreds of Bible versions out there, you have no final authority. God has promised that he will preserve his word. And here are some more verses that I'm going to give you on the preservation of the Bible. That's Psalm 12, verses 6, 6 and 7. It's the text we're looking at right now. Isaiah 59, verse 21 Jeremiah 36, the entire chapter is on the preservation of the Word of God. Jeremiah 36. Matthew 24, 35. Mark 13, 31. John 17, 17. Psalm 100, and verse 5. Psalm 119, and verse 89. And Joshua 1, 8. Which, by the way, Joshua 1, 8 is the original text, if you look it up. So let's move on here. Number one, we look at the purity and perfection, time and place of the Bible. Proverbs 30, verse 5 says, Every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. Psalm 12, verse 6 is the verse we're looking at. And Psalm 119, in verse 140, Thy word is very pure, therefore thy servant loveth it. Number two, we have the perfection of the word of God. Psalm 19.7 said, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. And then Second Timothy 3.15-17 through 17 says that, And that from a child that has known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation, through faith which is in Christ Jesus, and then the famous scripture, this, which is, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the men of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So nothing needs to be added or taken out of the book. And nothing needs to be changed on it. Just keep the book the way it is. Don't mess with it. Then we have the time and place of the Bible. Where and who had the word of God before any Bible was ever printed? It's a good question, you know. People think that we always had the Bible. That has, that's not the case. It's obvious that people had, it, had access to the word of God because millions trusted in Christ long before any Bible was printed. Once again, this is the promise of God that he will preserve his words. And nobody on earth has the power to stop it from going out into all the world. And we have a verse for that. 2 Timothy 2.9 says, Wherein I suffered trouble as an evildoer, even unto bonds, but the word of God is not bound. You can't stop it from going out. Number three, adding or subtracting from the Bible is dangerous. Deuteronomy 4 and verse 2 says, Ye shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall ye diminish out from it, that ye may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. Proverbs 30 and verse 6, Add that not unto his words, lest, ye repro lest he reprove thee 
and thou be found a liar. And then Revelation 22 through 19. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. 19. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. You get a warning at the beginning of the Bible. You get a second warning in the middle of the Bible. And just in case you are blockhead and you missed it, he gives you another warning at the end of the Bible. You can't miss that. Number four, every word that is in the Bible is important to God. And I take it that if God spoke the universe into existence out of nothing, he is capable of preserving his words. On the day of judgment, these people who dare to mess with the words of God will find themselves in trouble because they take it upon themselves to add or take away or even twist the words of God so they can make money and please the culture. My reason for being so direct in the way I preach is because from the time that I was growing up, I don't remember a time when the culture has been interested in the things of God. Everyone I, that I can remember was always running against these things. Just around in our community, in our cities nearby, just take a look around. This culture hates God. And they hate your Bible. As a Bible-believing Christian, you are nothing but a thorn on their side. They are rude, they're mean, nasty, constantly on your face, displaying their sick and twisted perversions. And if they could get, a, get rid of Christians and get away with it, they would do it. So the way I handle this, I don't compromise with the culture. I don't imitate the culture. The culture. I don't envy them. And I don't relate to them, which is sad, I think. There's only one thing that I'm interested in, and I try to be consistent in the way I do it. I try to influence them, not only in the way that I live my life, but I try to, I try to witness to every person I meet out there every time I get a chance. It's the only way that I, that, that I can somehow associate with the culture. Besides that, I want nothing to do with it. John 12:48. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judges him. The word that I, that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. And then Mark 8:38. Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. If you have access to the Bible, and not neglectedly, neglecting it on purpose, the Bible says that this very book is going to be a witness against you. Deuteronomy 
31, verse 26. Take this book of the law and put it in the side of the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, that it may be there for a witness against thee. I don't know if you knew this, but to think that a book is going to tes testify against you, I never thought of that before, but that's what God told his people back in Deuteronomy. In America, anyone who wants a Bible can have a Bible. We have no excuse. Our problem is, especially with young people, we are addicted to technology. And this technology is killing our young people. We waste our time on social media. I don't know if you see them. You know, they can't even eat without taking a picture of their plate and sending it to all their friends. Look what I'm eating. And I say, who cares? You know? That's what they do. You know? Playing video games. Watching TV. Watching useless YouTube videos. That's where they spend their time. And many of these people know nothing about the Bible. And they claim to have been Christians for many years. Yeah, they have access to the Bible. But their God is that little demonic electronic device that they can't even go to sleep without it. It's sad. Jeremiah 7 and verse 27. Therefore thou shalt speak all these words unto them, but they will not hearken unto thee. Thou shalt also call unto them, but they will not answer thee. You know, Jeremiah wrote this Bible, I mean, these, these words, to the nation of Israel a little bit over 2,600 years ago. And they are exactly up to date right now. Have you ever tried to talk to someone out on the street, especially young people, about their soul, about where they're going to spend eternity? And they respond to you like this. Well, everyone has his own opinion about these things. Right? Like, when you're dying, do you have your own opinion about the last breath that you're trying to get? In the grand economy of God, your opinion and mine means nothing. God is not interested in your opinion or mine. The millions of tombstones around the world is a true testament that God has said that is appointed unto men once to die and after this, the judgment. You're going to die. And if you die without your sins taken care of, you're going to be judged by the one who has all the authority. And if you find yourself at the great white throne judgment, your opinion will not matter at all. Number five, there's a strong warning in both the Old and the New Testament against those who dare to corrupt the Word of God. When the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, foretold the coming of the great apostasy in the letter to the Thessalonians, he told them that they would come a falling away in 2 Thessalonians 2, verses uh, 3. I'm sorry, uh, chapter 2, verse 3. He then said that the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Second Thessalonians 2, verse 7. Later, when he got together with the leaders of the church of Ephesus, he told them what would happen. Take your Bibles to Acts 20, 
verses 30 and 31, please. I think that for a pastor, this is, this is heartbreaking. You know, when a pastor is, is really diligently trying to teach and guide his people and they don't get it. This is, this is sad. But this is what Paul said. Acts 20, verse 30 and 31. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. Therefore, watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. The Greek word in this, in this verse, which is translated science, means knowledge. I got the Greek word here, but I will not say it because I refuse to do that. I don't speak Greek. The Apostle Paul didn't condemn knowledge in general, okay? But he condemned false knowledge. False teachers were placing their own interpretations on Christian truth by reading into it with human ideas. Spiritualizing the scriptures away was the next outstanding phase of the coming apostasy. Paul predicted this when he told Timothy, but shun shun profane and vain babblings. By the way, babblings, if you didn't know, that's when someone is speaking unintelligent things out on the street. You hear them, they're just babbling away. For they will increase unto more ungodliness, and their words, and their word will eat as cloth a canker, of whom is Hymenaeus, Hymenaeus, and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already, and overthrow the faith of some. Second Timothy two sixteen through eighteen. The Bible teaches that the resurrection is a future event. And one of the ways these prominent false teachers could say that it was past is the same way that it's being done right now. Some of their, their, their descendants today, they say that the resurrection is a spiritual process that takes place at the moment of conversion. You hear that over and over again. Some of these new waves or new pastors, I don't know where they're coming from, but they're not. They're not Christians. Substituting philosophy for, for scripture is the third wave in which the apostasy, apostasy came. This was predicted by Paul. He said, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. Colossians 2. Verse 8. The philosophy, philosophy condemned in this passage is not the philosophy found in the, in, in the Word of God, but the philosophy which is after the tradition of man. Even before the days of Christ, this very thing was already in existence. When the Jewish religious, religion was threatened by intellectual leaders, of the Jewish people who were carried away with glamour and pagan traditions and philosophies. Greek philosophy exercised 
a great influence in the Christian community, not only in the behavior of Christians, but also in the institution of new founded churches. Right now, true Christianity, our greatest enemy, is false Christianity. False Christianity is spreading like a wildfire around the world, and no one can stop it. The devil is busy, and he's doing a great job. And when a heathen is presented with the gospel, he is more likely to embrace a lie rather than the truth. That's reality. But it all begins with authority. You start to dumb down the Bible, and everything will fall apart eventually. You can have confidence that the book we have in our hands is the Word of God. By that, I'm speaking about the King James Bible, and I make no bones about that. Again, you can read whatever you want. Our job is to proclaim it to the lost, trusting that God himself is the one who is going to use the preaching of his word to convict the sinners. One of the reasons why I love the King James Bible is because of the honesty of the people who wrote it. When they came, to, when they came across a word that could not be translated into English, they put it in italics. If you spend time in your Bible, you find italic, words in italics in your Bible, all throughout your Bible. That is to let you know that that particular word could not be translated. And they did the best they could without putting their own interpretation into that text. Then, although King James VI didn't write a single word in the Bible, he authorized the project. And I think it would be a good idea if we call it the authorized version instead of King James, but either way, it is, it is it's a good translation. At the time when the King James Bible was written, no Bible could be put together without the approval of the king. If you read the previous guys, previous people who tried to put a Bible together like Tyndale, you know what happened to Tyndale. It wasn't pretty. Furthermore, in Ecclesiastes 8, and verse 4 says, Where the word of a king is, there is power. And who may say unto him, What doest thou? The 1611 authorized Bible is the only Bible that has been written under the authorization of a king and is the only Bible that exalts and magnifies the name of Jesus Christ better than any version out there. That is my defense on the King James Bible. And next time someone comes up here and reads from this book and they tell you at the end of that reading that this is the word of God, you can have confidence that we have the incorruptible, infallible, perfect, preserved words of the living God. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, 
please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.